Hello, everybody. Welcome to ClapperCast, episode 84. I'm your host, Carson Tamar, joined once again by Paul Price, Alina Falds. And once again, Chris is joining us, our first return guest, someone we didn't scare off with just being the most annoying and aggressive people in the world. How is everyone doing this fine day? I'm fantastic. I didn't know I was the first repeat guest. That's really incredible. I'm really happy to be here for the official uh, podcast about Lamb. I'm really glad that you had me back to chat about that. <laughs> I was promised 120 minutes of lamb. (laughs) (laughs) The lamb spectacular. (laughs) Um, In time for Thanksgiving. God. (laughs) Um, I'm good. Uh, I'm very excited about the fact that all of the movies for next week are coming out on Tuesday. So I don't have to rush and watch four movies in one week, which has been brutal of late. (laughs) Like... Uh, especially because my friends uh, begged me to go see Come On, Come On this week, which we weren't even doing on the podcast. And I was literally sitting there and I was like, I could be watching King Richard right now and be knocking one of these off. Um, also, do not go see Come On, Come On. It is a very bad movie. <laughs> I am so glad we're not talking about it. I literally would have been like, I have nothing to say about this film other than I now know I will never want children. <laughs> that was it. That's valid. There- There was literally a part halfway through and I was like, this is definitely like the litmus test for if you like ever want children because he's just being so annoying. And they're like, isn't he cute? And I was like, no. (laughs) Also, Gabby Hoffman's in it, who I literally can't watch. um, Transparent because I just don't like her. And so she was in this a lot more than I was expecting. I was expecting a beginning and end situation. And no, she is like a major character. Um, also saw her listed for best supporting actress like in some people's predictions and i wanted to jump and <laughs> jump off a cliff i mean better chance than chastain has right apparently <laughs> um although I-, I did meet up with like some reviewers and they were talking about that um they go to like the academy screenings and stuff and apparently most people do not like uh spencer the the rumblings are that yeah um and they're actually finding they do like uh Chastain in um Tammy Faye he said like it might be a surprise this year but like a lot of people just cuz they're older like really knew Spencer and they don't feel like she like embodied Spencer so it's like bugging them um which would be interesting because i could see the divide between liking spencer but also appreciating Kristen stewart's performance in it i I think i think it's specifically like um her americanness is throwing people um which is like kind of what bugged me too um but she doesn't like disappear into the role we're not talking about spencer though (laughs) (laughs) thank god because you guys have bad opinions on it yeah as much as i would like to shit on spencer some more (laughs) I am well, by the way, friends. I went to Brampton this week because my sister is getting jaw surgery next month. So she had to get all the like disgusting things in her mouth measured. And I kept her company on the drive. Uh, And we also went to see Ghostbusters together as a fam. And we also went to see Belfast. I got to see Belfast again. I was so fucking excited, y'all. I can't (laughs) believe I didn't mention like any of the Van Morrison music in it last week, but we talked about Belfast last week, so I will shut up. But no, I am very <laughs> thankful I got to see it again. 
I'm really excited. I really do want to see it again. I think it's going to be one of those that like builds in my. I liked it a lot better. This, I mean, I already liked it, but I liked it like it was perfect the second time. Also, so many adorable old Irish people in the theater. I was living for it. (laughs) It's amazing. And to start us off today, instead of getting into any individual review or piece of news, we had the last major film festival of the season with AFI Fest a couple weeks back. And Paul, you were lucky enough to attend in person. How was the experience? What did you see? Give us the exclusive scoop here on Clappercast. I um, had a very weird time at AFI Fest uh, because I was just starting uh, my job. So I was a little iffy about going to a weekday screening. So I only did the weekend. Um but I got to see some things I hated and some things I really, really liked. Um, so I started out on Saturday and I saw um, Parallel Mothers, which uh, is Almodovar's uh, newest film with Penelope Cruz. I'm seeing a lot of people talk about how it might be a you know surprise nom for Best Picture. She's like maybe getting Best Actress nominated. I hated this film um, and it's almost entirely due to spoilers. So I'm going to avoid why, but uh, suffice it to say um, the last act has nothing to do with the rest of the film and it's its own film. And you can a hundred percent feel that he had two movies and he didn't know which one he wanted to make. So he just found a way to merge both. Um, And that was like really frustrating to me. Then I watched Sundown, um, which you guys both saw at different film fests. Um, I was really into this, but (laughs) it's like one of those that I'm like very into in the same way as Monday, which um, is one of those films that like I really enjoyed, but I can't recommend and also could not explain exactly why I enjoyed this film. (laughs) Um, I think it's just... You know, I always tell uh, tell people when they talk about like Nomadland that I think that a huge reason it won last year was because we are all trapped at home and wanted to go out into the world, which is where that was. Um, I think that's why these hit me for the same reason. Um, I haven't vacationed in forever, and I I really enjoy just seeing like beautiful locations and people just kind of having smaller stories within it. Um, but yeah, I I enjoyed that. Um, my favorite movie of the festival, surprisingly, was um, the new film Pleasure, um, which is an NC-17 film. It came out at Sundance. Um, I don't know. Some of you may have seen that A24 and Neon uh, actually switched to owned it um, because A24 wanted to do a R-rated cut and Neon said that uh, Ninja, the director, didn't have to. Um, I'm kind of actually with A24 on this because I don't think a lot of people will make it through the first couple acts or first couple scenes really um, before piecing out. Um, And I think that's a real tragedy because this is a very good film. It's just, it is very much in your face. It's probably the most graphic film I've ever seen. Um, But I loved that. Um, And then the last film I saw in theaters was a preview screening of sing two and i watched sing one prior to that and i did not like sing one 
<laughs> I was not a fan of Sing One. So Hot I take. went in. Yeah. Okay. To the point that, like, I will be fair. I was watching the last act of Sing One in the theater on my phone, waiting for Sing Two. Um, but I finished, and I was like, whatever. And then Sing Two started, and much like uh, Secret Life of Pets Two and Despicable Me Two, I feel like they throw out the entire premise of the movie from the original film and just do some fun shit. And that works really well in this one. It is, it's not great, but it is a kid's movie. That's really fun. I think I gave it three and a half star on letterboxd. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then the last film I saw was, uh, Medusa, which I got to watch, um, through a screener. And that was really fun. Um, it was really interesting. Carson, I think you watched that one as well. I saw that one back at Can, yeah, through a screener. Um, it was good. I, I liked it. I don't think it's anything incredible. It reminds me of, like, we kind of have this new era after Black Mirror. And this started before Black Mirror, but I feel like it became really popular with Black Mirror, where you have, like, social commentary, dystopian films, but, like, in a very, like, certain angle that's pretty clear. Um, this one's very, like, religious-based. has a lot to say about, like, feminism and misogyny and such. Like, I think it's good. I, it didn't, like, blow me away, and it might have just been that, like, can was pretty solid right i gotta see the worst person in the world i gotta see quite a few great films that can um so i actually would like to check out medusa again i didn't get a chance to rewatch it at afi fest um but i i liked it for what it was so I, i'm excited to talk about it moving forward i think it definitely will have an audience um it'll be interesting to see where it goes yeah no i totally agree um i really I think it's an interesting film and I'm excited to see like what the director does moving forward. But um, I, I think also like I was a little movied out at that point, um, which is not a fault of the film. It was just, <laughs> uh, I think that week um, the AFI fest was last week. And if you remember, that was also probably our most packed episode we've ever had. So I ended up watching 12 films in a week and <laughs> towards the end, I was like running on fumes um but yeah um afi fest is great um oh a fun story because people enjoy those um i got stuck next to a parent with her kid at sing two and um uh, i have forgotten how much i hate being around normal people for movies i usually go now at like 10 p.m screenings and all that stuff so i'm never like around humans um and then I also sit in those like uh, uh, wheelchair companion seats because um, AMC specifically allows you to sit in those as long as someone with a wheelchair doesn't come. So um, I always get those because they're kind of away from everyone. So I had forgotten what it was like being around humans. And I'm sitting next to this woman and she pulls out her phone. She pulls out this really loud candy. She's texting her husband. She's like, letting her kids sing they're both singing to some of the songs and i was like what is happening and then at one point they almost took her away um and she like looked at me like i had somehow blamed her and i was like i literally would if i could but i can't <laughs> this was totally on you woman um she had pulled out her phone and was holding it up at the screen trying to take a picture which obviously you can't do at the premiere of sing too um so that was that was really enjoyable <laughs> I see it, I think, this weekend. I'm very, I hope I get a similar reception. I just want everyone on their phones taking videos. Like, when I saw Dune, 
uh, someone just filmed the entirety of Dune from the front row and no one cared. So I just really hope like we get more of that behavior because I love it. It's fun. Okay, now let's head over to Netflix. I feel like just the endless void of cinema. Um, they released a new movie this week. Shocking. Tick, Tick, Boom, starring Andrew Garfield. Paul, I did not expect your reaction to be what it was. So why don't you just start it out, you know, with a fun little. Okay, so. So. Um, preface on me. I do not find Lin-Manuel Miranda um, to be. Uh, an interesting playwright or um, what do you call them? Chris, is it playwright if it's musicals <laughs> or is it, is there a specific uh, yeah, word? You, you, wrote, okay. you wrote the book or yeah. You, okay. Yeah. Lyricist. So, lyricist. Yeah. That's probably what it is. Um, I don't find him particularly interesting. I did not like Hamilton. I liked in the Heights less. Um, I'm just not a big proponent of his stuff. So I went into this fully ready to hate it. And I cannot tell you, I also don't like Rent, actually. We should preface that as well. I had a fantastic time with this. Like, and I think it might be because it scratched the itch that specifically uh, Bo Burnham's Inside did not. I turned 30 this year. Um, And I don't think that really 100% pulls why, but I feel like it did show that, like, you're getting older. Things aren't great, but maybe they can go moderately better um, compared to like Bo Burnham's, which was like, I'm rich and famous and like <laughs> in a long term relationship. But like 30s, terrible. Right, guys? It felt so fake. But this felt like, yeah, you know, you're sitting there and you know that in five years, Jonathan Larson will die. Never knowing Rent was a huge success, probably thinking it was going to be a mild success, if anything. It's a very like weird sad story i think andrew garfield is fantastic um i can see why people would say he's over dramatic but then i went and watched videos of jonathan larson and that's pretty much how he was um it's like a spot-on performance um and i think the entire supporting cast is great um i am not that into the theater world but even i enjoyed like i would say 75 percent of the cameos I, that I knew it's not that I would didn't enjoy the other 25%. I just hadn't heard of that person. Um, and I thought Sunday was really fun, but I know that you guys didn't love it as much. Actually, Chris, I don't know your opinion at all. Oh, well, well, my opinion is I am a thousand percent a theater guy. I grew up in theater. I saw rent with the original cast live on Broadway. Um, so I actually didn't know that much about Jonathan Larson. I knew that he had done tick, tick, boom, I knew I obviously knew Rent. I didn't know much of his life, so this was a pretty big surprise to me in terms of I didn't really know it was coming. Um, it was, but as a theater fan, I mean, it was huge. Like I, I put on my letterbox. I mean, the Sunday scene alone was like my Avengers Endgame. Like the portals opened up, and you've got Joel Gray, Brian Stokes Mitchell, BB Newworth, Adam Pascal, Bernadette Peters, uh, Felicia Rashad showed up, Cheetah Rivera. I mean, it was insane. I was just like, my mind was blown. I was like, oh my god, look at these people. And, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, he, he's got he's got no marks in my book. I think he's good. I think he's really, really good. I think he's a very talented man. I mean, Hamilton, listen, whether you like it or hate it or you have issues with it, it is, it's brilliant. I mean, it's very smart. It's a smart idea. It's a smart concept. It's doing something different with the genre, which is pretty cool. I really liked Into the Heights as well. And as a director, I felt like he has a good eye. I thought, I mean, I thought that the, the movie flowed. 
I really enjoyed it. I mean, I thought the songs were good. Great. He has nothing to do with the songs. I thought John Larson's songs were very good. But I thought that the way the story unfolded was really interesting. And here I was kind of thinking like this was going to be um, a precursor to Rent in terms of like literally leading up to the writing of Rent, which, you know, aside from a couple bills that were unpaid there, there wasn't too much of Easter eggs that were laid in there for the foundation of that musical taking shape, which I was fine with. Um, and I was actually very taken on the journey. I thought that Andrew Garfield was really fantastic. And who knew the boy could sing? Uh, I hope that, you know, Spider-Man No Way Home features some kind of musical number with him and Tobey Maguire, because I'm all for it. I mean, if that's the way he comes swinging into the universe, like, let's do it. Also, Robin De Jesus was phenomenal uh, as Michael. I really thought I really, really got attached to that story. I was really engaged by that. Um, Vanessa Hudgens was, was there. She sounded great. I thought that she was, more <laughs> was there. Um, she was, she was really there. I mean, she just kind of showed up her and Joshua Henry yeah. who played Roger, the other guy in his band who I actually saw in Los Angeles at the Pantages playing Aaron Burr in Hamilton. And he oh, cool. was phenomenal. Yeah. So I really wish he had more to do here, but the two of them sounded great. And as a backup to the live performance of Tick, Tick, Boom, I thought that they did a, a really good job. So I, I was all for it. I was, this is a five star for me. This was my hell. <laughs> Uh-oh. Right, I knew. I was like. <laughs> Here we I go. I just hate musicals, guys. So I knew I wasn't going to like it. I just. There's. I like Mamma Mia, too. I like Disney movies. And I like Bollywood movies. And that's it. The rest of musicals, I cannot do. I just find them, like, so cringy. I can't. Um. So, like, God. I knew I was going to not like this. And granted, this is the best thing this year that Lin-Manuel Miranda has put out. I didn't watch In the Heights. I wasn't on that episode. I can't remember why, but I just never got around to it. But, like, I don't want to at this point. Um, but I don't know. I watched this on my phone in the parking lot of my sister's uh, dental surgery. <laughs> 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 because I knew if I didn't watch it. I was I watching it the watch- best way you could. <laughs> Shut up. Listen, I knew if I didn't watch this on my phone, I would not have paid attention to it. So, like, I I tried, guys. Uh, I thought Andrew Garfield was, like, good, but I thought, like, John, whatever his name is, Larson was, like, fucking annoying. I was like, I don't care about this guy at all. I don't know anything about him. I've never seen Rent. And then at the end, when I was like, oh, this is the guy who wrote Rent, I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. Never seen Rent. I don't care. Like, it was just not for me. Um, I'm 24. I don't relate to like the misery of turning 30 yet. I don't like musicals. This was not for me, but I understand like why other people would like it. I just like I'm excited for like this is clapper cast like episode like. 400 or something. And you're going to pop in and be like, so I watched Tick, Tick, Boom again. I'm 29. <laughs> it's the greatest <laughs> film I've ever seen. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just I haven't reached the dread of turning thirty yet, so didn't speak to me. It is a very it is a very weird specific dread, um, and it's like something that I a hundred percent heard people say that it was the worst thing that could happen, and then it happens, and you're like, oh, it is terrible. But I did not believe you. I was like, I'll be able to get through it. I specifically remember my cousin sitting there. And I was like a high schooler and he only turned 25. So this is even worse. But he was like, uh, 
it's so interesting to watch you full of hope and not know that the world's going to beat you down. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then I remember like turning 30 and being like, wow, he was right. God, <laughs> it's brutal out here. Um, I, yeah. And I, I think, uh, oh, no, Carson, I'll let you go. But I think one of the things about like the whole turning 30 aspect that's so interesting about this is when you're watching it, it's not some success story. We're about to talk about one that is a success story. Jonathan Larson's life isn't really successful. He never gets a period where he's like, wow, I did it. I made it. He dies the night before his production, which I'm sure was from stress. Like, I'm sure it's, you know, a large part was that he was overworked and things. So, like, he never got that period of, rest and relaxation and being able to be proud of himself. So it's kind of this like brutal story when you're watching it because there is no relief for his character. Um, and you know that going in, I kind of wish that they hadn't done that. Um, backstory on tick, tick, boom. It was originally a one man show. Um, and then after his death, they redid it and made it into a, um, musical, but originally it was just him on a piano doing a couple of these songs. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting um, knowing that like this musical kind of is a collaboration with people after his death about prior to his death, especially when you're watching. And I think that in the original one man show, it's not supposed to necessarily be him. Um, but his parents were like, no, it's everything happened. And he just didn't want to say it was him um, from what I've read, at least. Um, I'm not going to claim that you guys are wrong here. There's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, you guys are wrong. I'm definitely not the target audience for this. I like to say I like musical theater. I realize just liking Mamma Mia and Cats probably doesn't qualify me to say that. So I'm probably not going to say that today. Not a big Lin fan. I actually screamed when he appeared in this film because I didn't know it. It was a jump scare. Um, very similar to Jim Cummings and Halloween Kills. But the film was very boring. I don't know who Jonathan Larson is. Didn't see Rent. Didn't even know he died. Couldn't tell you. So this entire time, didn't know he died. If maybe if I did, it would be a little bit better. This film was fucking boring. This film sucks. This film was torture to sit through. There's no plot. There's no enemy. And I'm just sitting there and he's like, here's the brunch song. Look, now I'm swimming. And I was like, fuck you. I hope you die. And then he did die. And then I felt bad for thinking I wanted him to die. But like, it's just boring. There's nothing to the film. It's just this guy who's turning 30 and it's like, great. We got that opening song. Love it. Good song. The opening song was a very good song, I will say. Um, and then the rest of it's just like Andrew Garfield acting fucking psychotic. He acts crazy. He's giving like a 10 to the point where it's like, okay, you are annoying. It's like you're at like, if I went like I I spent a lot of time going to church as a child, and there's always that one kid in the youth group who's like fucking senile and like really out there. That's Andrew Garfield <laughs> in this film. Um, just genuinely annoying. Um, I was like, oh god, I'm getting a headache from you. And it's just him like, I'm making brunch. We have a brunch rush. And I was like, God, I fucking hate you. Um, okay, but the brunch song there's the brunch no song is there's no the plot. brunch there's song no is specifically enemy. just like it's like everyone in it is like super famous and the whole point is okay no, I know. but the song was dumb no, but, i was but, like but, why the fuck am i listening to a song about brunch and unless you're gonna be dressed up like mr mistopheles i don't care like could not care less about <laughs> musical theater i've learned 
So it was not, there just was nothing to this. And I just felt like it was so boring. Again, maybe if you know, maybe if you know the <laughs> dread is coming of him dying, it will work better. Um, but she like, literally, the, the movie intros with them saying moment. he dies. Yeah, well, he was a being annoying, so I didn't listen. But um, <laughs> literally, like that's the first line. The whole emotional, mo- one of the big emotional moments is where this guy who wants to be a playwriter, he's like, "Okay, I wrote a play. What do you do now?" And they're like, "You write another play." And he's like, "Wait, what?" And he gets like depressed from it. It's not like no shit, Sherlock. You're a fucking writer. Like that's like me being a teacher and but- being like, "What do I do after this class? You teach another class? What?" Like I don't know. I just did not care for this guy. Thought it was boring. Bad flop. Best thing Lynn Mineral Miranda did this year, though, I will say. I love it when Carson and I are on the same page because it rarely happens. I can't believe Paul and I are on the same page. This is my man in the trenches. I mean, what? What did this happen? How did this happen? I was sitting there and I was like, halfway through, I was like, oh no, do I like this? <laughs> like, because Alina had watched it first. Um, apparently, like, you know. Uh, on getting a low surgery. quality phone, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As a toothless while her sister's entire Andrew Garfield <laughs> dancing around. <laughs> while her sister's uh, entire I would have liked it better if I was on laughing gas. I think to be clear, I'm not the one getting jaw surgery. My sister is. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Just, I'm like, I'm just just like, so medically. <laughs> If I was on cocaine during this, I'm sure I'd enjoy it more also. Oh but, you know, we don't no, know what I, as I really, I really, okay. So, like, I told you guys this. Um, and I think it's the best metaphor is, like, I watched um, Lost in Translation as a kid. And I hated Lost in Translation as a kid. Absolutely despised it. And then I watched it older. And I was like, oh. And that's more about, like, being lost in your early 20s. Um, and then I watched it older and I was like, oh, okay, I get what this is about. I had no goddamn clue. And I think that that's a very interesting thing overall with cinema is like, uh, you know, it can transport you. But if you feel like you should know the mental things of like, oh, I can assume what turning 30 is like. If it's a different culture or something like that, you're like, oh, I'm watching something and I'm an outsider watching in. But if it's something that you know is like in the future and you can kind of guesstimate what it would be like, it does feel a lot like I can even listen to what you guys are saying. And I'm like, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I probably at 20 would have said the same thing. So I'll just be curious. But also musicals. That is fair. Um, well, this is one of know, the most musically musicals in a while. It is. But I was going to say that it is a musically musical. Absolutely. But like comparing this to like a Dear Evan Hansen or something where he's walking through the school singing and people are just like inexplicably dancing behind him. I I thought that like more the structure of a lot of these musical numbers minus Sunday, which I did like with the diner just opening up and, you know, these people standing there singing. I thought a lot of it was was, you know, I don't know, more based in a reality. Like he's singing the La Boheme song it's around the party and this is part of his like coming off thing. I just thought the, the movie did a better job of presenting the musical numbers that didn't seem so far out there as it sometimes happens. And some people enjoy that where everybody just stops singing or starts, starts, stops talking and just starts singing and dancing. Everybody knows the lyrics and knows the next words. I thought this one, at least like I thought it had a more realistic tone to it. So I thought like comparing that to the other musical that came out a couple months ago, I, I mean, I thought there was a significant, significant gap in quality between the two of them yeah um well even like i think you were a fan of um in the heights chris but that one like it 
did not connect with me at all. Um, uh, no, I, I, I agree. Think, I, I would say that that is a com- that's a completely that's the other other side of yeah, the musical. That the I other type there. Yeah. Uh, right. the, no, the that big, makes the big lavish numbers. Everybody's singing. Everybody's dancing. Every thought you have in your head is now being sung. Whereas I thought some you know of these what? songs actually helped to enhance the plot a little bit. I will say I am very impressed with Lin Manuel Miranda for one specific thing. He definitely was offered directing in the Heights, and he chose not to to do mm-hmm. um, Tick Tick Boom, which is the smaller of the two musicals. Um, yeah. Even like. To your point, Chris. And not his own. Uh, yeah, it could. He could have done his own to bigger acclaim, um, and I think that he made the right choice because um, I think that doing something else uh, really helped refine his talent. I'm actually excited to see what he does moving forward. I kind of wish he was doing Wicked. Actually, now that I've watched mm. this, over uh, I don't particularly like. Um, was it John Chu? Yeah, yeah. I don't I have not found his directing style to work for me. So I've okay. I am very iffy about that movie. I mean, I think <laughs> I think Wicked should have been bought by Disney and should have been turned into like a nice big animated movie with Adina and Kristen Chenoweth doing the voices. But that also probably and should never have happened like five to... or six years ago. Yeah. And also yeah. they never have to be in a room together. So it's fine. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say Lynn did impress me directing. I didn't expect to like Lynn as a director. I thought it was like well directed. I'll say that. Uh, well, know? especially to pull like to pull that performance out of Andrew, regardless if you like it, that's like a established director. And I'm sure it's based on his theater to pull out like that much emotion because Andrew Garfield, um, one of the things that I've always really thought with him is he's way too muted. Um, every one of well, his this time. I find. Yeah, and I think flashback that's what, to I Under think... the Silver Lake. <laughs> Question. Uh, yeah, yeah, but Under the Silver Lake is just like it's so bizarre. Actually, he's not even particularly that weird in it. It's just everything around him is so weird. Um, also, now that you mentioned it, Chris, I really want a um, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark movie with Andrew Garfield. <laughs> oh yeah. And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. And my friends, that is the Star Draft. Hollywood's award season is right around the corner, and that means another season of Star Draft is upon us. Star Draft turns Hollywood's award season into fantasy football. You draft actors and musicians, they win accolades throughout the award season, and your team earns points. This year, the Star Draft is hoping to sign up their thousandth user, and if they do, they're going to give away $1,000 in cash prizes. So join a league today and spread the word. Even we at Clappercast have a league that you can join on the site's public leagues page. So sign up today, battle it out with me, Alina, and Paul. Just look up Clappercast on the website, and that is at thestardraft.com. Once again, thestardraft.com. And may the anoms be ever in your favor. Okay, and we are approaching Oscar season. A lot of people think Andrew Garfield might be a contender for Best Actor, but a film being looked at as a a contender for a lot of things, including Best Actor, but also Best Director, Best Picture, blah, 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 is King Richard. We finally got King Richard starring Will Smith. 
So I might as well start out with this one, I guess. Um, I was not a big fan of King Richard. I'm kind of sad about it because I've been on like the same wavelength as a lot of people this year. I love Belfast. Last year, I loved Nomadlands. Like I'm kind of when it comes like the big contenders normally on the side of the people. Um, And this one was boring. You know, we don't really need every film at this point to be two hours, 20 minutes. And I'm really sad about it. I think Will Smith is good. The actresses are good. Like this is, you know, a heartfelt family drama. You could say like it, it does work on a base level. It's not terrible or anything, but the length, especially in the first hour really felt like it got to me. Cause it felt like nothing much was happening. Um, it just needs a tighter edit. And we're just seeing this, I guess, with every film at this point this year is like everything is two hours, 20 minutes or more. I don't really know why every film is, um, but this easily could have been, in my opinion, a hundred minutes, let's say, and it would have been great. It would have been fantastic. Um, as is, I think it just feels bloated, but like, yes, Will Smith is good. The big moments deliver. It is good. It just isn't something that I would be like, oh, it's great. It's going to make it into my personal lineup for best picture or anything. But I'm curious if anyone loves this film or had any other different ideas. I mean, I, I really liked it. I was a big fan. I thought that Will Smith did some of the best work I've seen him do in, in a while. I was intrigued by the story. Um, I, I will admit, I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you on the two and a half hour thing. It definitely felt long at parts. Movies that are two and a half hours now just feel long. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like this whole thing about uh, you know our, our concentration or our focus, but it is very hard for me to find a two and a half hour movie where I can say, oh, that totally warranted the runtime. Like every minute was so good. I never looked at my watch once. Even things I really like, I'm like, eh, you probably could have trimmed 10, 20 minutes off this. And I think that that's definitely the case for a story like this, which is pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. You know what you're getting when you go into it. You know, the trailers set it up, but you, you know just from the synopsis of it what this story is going to be about. And, you know, the, the truth is, as tough as it may be to, to have gotten to the point where they got, you know how, the outcome. You know the end of this story. So you know that, you know, you can you can have those, those trials and tribulations, but eventually things are going to work out pretty good. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, I, I really, I really was uh, into this movie. I really liked it. I thought it was... It is a simple classic story. I mean, I, I like sports movies as it is. So I like seeing, you know, the underdogs kind of come up. And I thought it was actually a pretty interesting choice to do it primarily focused on who Serena and Venus have said, this is the guy that, that, that did it all. He is the queen maker. He is the guy that, you know, looked at a sport that was, you know, predominantly white and went, you know what? I can do something with this and decided that with his two daughters, he was gonna make them tennis stars. And I thought that was a really cool journey. And I thought being able to see the hustle that this man had to do just to get them lessons, to get them noticed, to get a coach who could just like look at them for two seconds and be like, yeah, I got something special here. As he says, you know, I've got two Michael Jordans. Um, so I, I, was, I was very much into it. I really, I thought Will Smith is, I mean, he's, he's top dog route right now for the, the academy awards i think i mean it was just a great performance i felt it i believed it um you know i i was into it and um yeah so i'm i'm on board with this yeah i really liked this too i didn't love it but i had a good time with the film i did feel the length though not as much as you guys but granted i was playing pokemon during this to be fair I did pay attention to the film but i was also playing wait, Pokemon at the same wait time. i do love this whole situation <laughs> where you're like I review all of these movies. 
I will watch them either in a dentist's office <laughs> or while I was in the Pokemon. parking lot of the dentist's <laughs> office. So I was by myself. I think it's great. And I watched it on my phone so I wouldn't be distracted. Okay. I did that for Lynn Manuel Miranda because I knew if I watched <laughs> I that, that home art. on my computer, <laughs> I would not have paid attention. But I liked King Richard enough to pay attention to it. Just also, the new Pokemon game is out. What do you want from me? <laughs> Alina, I got to say, I, I'm as interested as I am now in your reviews, now I always want to know what else you're doing while the film Well, there's been some wild ones. If you go through the history in the archives, there's been some interesting ones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> some rated R ones for sure. Yes. Oh, my. To be clear, I, I also last had a busy because... weekend. <laughs> You know what? I was doing whatever it took to get these movies watched. Okay, so don't judge me. I the life of a critic. My best. You know? Yeah, like fuck it's off. Really I liked the movie. Um, I thought Will Smith was really, really good. I think this is one of the um, like best projects he's ever done. Like, I can definitely see why people are saying that he's like a front runner for like best actor at this point. The film as a whole, I did have like problems with because like it's not super special like it, it is did you really guys just, like, uh, did you guys like, happen to look at what else this director has done this year no i have not i do not uh Wait, what, did what, he do? what else has he done uh, chris did he also chris, catch a snorlax no, chris uh you won't have any connection to this but he was the director of no. one joe bell no way shut <laughs> up <laughs> no way <laughs> That fact Joe belled me right now. That's amazing. Yeah. I literally was like, this is so dilute. Let me finish. Let me. Man, I'm really going to have to go back. Um, I don't know. I really liked it. I don't know like a lot about the Williams other than like just them and like pop culture because they are like just giants of pop culture. Like, I don't give a shit about tennis. But I like know a lot like they're everywhere so I knew that like their dad was involved in like making their careers and whatever so yeah I thought it was like a really faithful adaptation but like the worst thing about this movie is all the shit takes that are coming out about it about their dad I have seen some dumbass tweets from white feminists on the TL not even my TL Paul keeps sending them to me to provoke me I feel like oh yeah they're God. literally all we um, do but... it's just like it'll be cute animal cute animal terrible take <laughs> <laughs> that's our entire friendship so that is one bad thing about this movie but that's not even the movie's fault I, it's fine i liked it solid four stars for i me. think there's a to your guys point i think there's a 90 minute film in here that i would have like totally fucked with um i found will's performance good but um, his accent a little shaky, um, which in general, whenever Will Smith puts on an accent, that is one of my like biggest fears is that he, when he starts acting, all of a sudden Will Smith comes out and it doesn't matter what he's in. Like whenever there's an accent, if Will Smith starts like having a big moment, he's all of a sudden Will Smith, like he drops everything, um, which is fine for this because it's still an American accent. Um, but I think that it's a little too strong at points and a little too weak at points. Um, but overall it's fine. Um, I think Ingenue Ellis is pretty great. Um, Fantastic. but 
I don't think she's given enough to do, which my biggest problem, and this is my problem with most biopics of late, is that I do not believe that the people involved in the story should have any creative say. Um, because I do feel like this is very much like I feel the moments where they like touch it with kid gloves when it's yes. like there's some moments where it's like they're like I can almost imagine the conversation they're having with uh the William sisters and like we need to do this scene and that sure but can we do it like this and then it like gets mushed down to where it's like the nicest version well yeah I mean there's that scene you know where it's it's mentioned very casually about he has a son that shows up that he has kids by other women, that there's there's a complications in the relationship. And it's thrown in there very, it's kind of, you know, it, it's part of an argument that happens, a, a moment. And I, I, I agree. I mean, they do treat it with kid gloves, but I also think there's something about, you know, the people making it, wanting it to be a love letter to their father, wanting it to celebrate a guy well, who yeah. them where they are. So I, I, you know, I think, right. I think there's something about a biopic where it's like, hey, here's like, here's the, the, the dark side and the good side like where you kind of show a favorable balance of both and I think that this was the best way they could do it because it is still their father and, and if it had been alive. anyone else making it I think that he might have been portrayed in a very different light like something or you know like LeVar Balls you know like been a little bit tougher a little bit grittier and I think that they but I, I think that they showed him being ruthless and and I think they kind of showed that a lot in terms of other people's reactions to him, like, you know, the neighbor or people like, hey, you got your kids out in the, the rain, where it's like, yeah, he knows what he's doing. He's got it set. But from an outsider's point of view, you could be like, huh, you know, this guy, did he throw away their whole childhood to make them what he wanted them to be? Yeah. And I, I, I mean, the fact that the Williams sisters are like multi-multi-millionaires and some of the most famous people in the world, I think does, um, you know, color their... Um, thoughts back to that area i also wish that the um relationship between the two parents was a little more aggressive because they divorced in like 2002 mm -hmm. so um and i think that they allude to it a little bit when she's like once we're done with the kids i'm done with you or something like that mm -hmm. um but i wish that that had been a little bit more of a focus towards the end um this film is very interesting in that and I think because we've been wanting to see Venus become the lead, um, it becomes more important. Uh, or it's not as important to us that the perspective kind of shifts and it never really goes back. And around the beginning of the third act, it's suddenly Venus Williams film. And uh, Richard doesn't have much to do at that point. Um, after he turns down uh, the Nike contract for the second time, it's like kind of that's it. <laughs> it was Reebok, um, wasn't it? No, Reebok yeah. is what buys her eventually. Uh, they uh, give her twelve million. Nike wanted to give her four million. Okay. See, Paul, I think that's purposeful though, because I think it was here's all the work he's done throughout Act One and Act Two, and now when he gets her to where she needs to go, it, it's her show now. There's only, you know, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's any good coach. There's only so much you can do. Oh, and then it's, then it's up to the player. And oh, I, think I agree. Cool, I just think that's why I like that though. Um, and I do like that it ends on a, a, a failure. Um, I mean, it, a lot of it worked for me. I just felt a lot of it was like, 
very, I don't think the first coach was really that needed. Um, it felt, you know how, like, um, when you like read someone's biography and then they adapt it into a movie, you go through like huge sections where you're like, wow, this is really boring. That's how I felt for some of this. I was like, you don't need this. You can like movie magic it away. Um, and like, I just, there was consistently parts where I was like, this is just, this is like what actually happened, but isn't particularly like exciting for the film. Um, kind of feels like a book in some ways. I also think the pacing yeah. is extremely weird in it because you don't start out with like him getting the inspiration. You start out in the middle of him having his plan already, already on his journey. And then for two hours, 40 minutes, you just kind of like see him follow that journey that was pre-established before the film. It really feels like a book. Like if this was a book, it would make sense. But as a film, I just feel like it doesn't work as well. Well, and it's it's interesting. I've seen a lot of people say this is like a bog standard biopic. We, we disagree with that because a bog standard pick would be birth to death or birth to like, you know, um, I guess it would be Venus winning one of the opens. Um, like that's usually how these go, but this is very much a small slice of life. Um, and I think if there had been more slice of life aspects, I might've enjoyed it more. Um, I didn't dislike this by any means. It's just, I don't, I, I think I'm with you, Carson, where I was so basing my opinion on what everyone else was saying outside of Tammy Faye. I think I've agreed with everyone this year um, on like what they think are going to be like Oscar movies. Um, I loved Tammy Faye, but uh, yeah, this is, this is the first one where I was like, it's fine. Um, I, mm. I always say that there, um, this feels like a movie that will be great for high schools on movie day where they're like, we got to mm -hmm. put on a movie guys. I'm not doing anything today. You finished your tests and everything. And they'll put on fucking King Richard and everyone will love it. Um, oh, before we move on though. So last week, the Spencer, where I thought that uh, lady Diana Spencer uh, let one rip during her uh, bed scene. Uh, I was talking to a friend about pig and they said they were watching. And when he's in the restaurant, he like stands up and um, she said, I was so ready for him to just let out this huge, loud, obnoxious fart to the point. This was, I heard this yesterday and then I watched immediately watched King Richard. And when he did, my brain just went, did I just add this in? <laughs> I was honestly I was like, wondering where the hell you were going with this. Yeah, no, his, he, he like, when you go and look up the movie, like it seems to be like a thing people are talking about on Twitter is like, you know, Will Smith's going to win an Oscar for farting. But like, <laughs> it is so funny. I was literally looking at the scene. I had to go back. I was like, I mean, did that happen? Or am I just crazy? Because I literally had gotten home just from talking about this. And someone had just seen King Richard. So I was surprised that they didn't mention this. Um, <laughs> and um so yeah this has been like this recurring thing and i'm so ready for it to keep popping up i expect it now in west side story i expect it in nightmare alley um i expect uh francis mcdormand to pull a nomad land again it, during uh tragedy of macbeth this is the year <laughs> and really it's only happened once but it just feels like it should happen more <laughs> 
I like yeah, how, I, will say that I like how Chris like agreed to come back and just like seeing his facial reactions. We know like he's never coming back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every it, conversation he just buries his yeah. face in his hands with like shame. Yeah. What what day do you guys sit on again? I'm really busy. I think coming up. <laughs> oh my God. goodness. Yeah, I will no. say though, Paul. The one thing I I kind of disagree with you on one thing that you said though it has nothing to do with the farts, which you just kind of <laughs> you, you went with it before I could even get this in. But you said you thought that the first coach was kind of uh, trivial. You didn't really yeah. like it. One, I'll watch Tony Goldwyn show up in anything. But I actually, the one thing I was enjoying about the film was how how Will Smith is his his you know King Richard is a gambler, and these offers come along that look good. These coaches come along that are willing to coach for free. And he's willing to throw it away when he doesn't think that it serves him or his daughters any longer, or if he thinks he can do better. And I mean, it's like the same thing with someone like, you know, you've got a job and they always tell you, oh, you should have another job lined up before you jump. And, and Will Smith just jumps and, and he takes the whole family with him. And, and there's points where the wife is like, hey, listen, we're supposed to be a team, right? You know, we're supposed to make these decisions together. And you can kind of see that building frustration where it's like, he says they're a team. He says they're a family. But there are so many moments when it's Richard making these decisions, when it's Richard taking the future and in, in, in the fate of th these kids into his own hands and gambling. And it's almost shocking to see how he constantly wins. He constantly defies the house. He constantly defies odds. And it's like at any point, Venus and Serena's journey could have been cut extremely short and no one may never have heard of them. But I did think that for me, that was one of the more interesting aspects that it was like, they had these deals, they had these opportunities and he knew when to say no, which is something that's kind of interesting talking about, you know, we're just talking about Tick, Tick, Boom, where here's a guy who thinks that like, I do one thing and that one thing will open every door. You know, it was like this, this, this artist who believed that, oh, all I have to do is write one good musical and boom, I'm famous. And, you know, the thing in this one is Richard knew, he, he knew better. He knew, you no, you can't just win one game. You can't just win one circuit and then you're going to be famous. He knew he had to keep them going and going and going and they had to keep challenging themselves. And at times, you know, you really weren't sure if it was really going to work out for him. And so I, I, that's the only thing I thought that that was actually, that was to me pretty fascinating. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, I loved like how well they established Richard's character throughout the film, like with leaving the first coach. I loved the scene when like Venus wins that, like, I guess one of the like early tennis matches. And then she's like bragging about um, beating a white girl. And then Richard is just like mad and like wants to humble her. And he like makes them watch Cinderella and then he's like quizzing them after and he's like, what's the lesson from this? And then like none of them like get the answer that he wants. And then he wants to make them watch Cinderella right after they finish it for like the second time. And like the mom luckily puts her foot down. But I like they do like scenes like that. I just loved so much. Like I just it's really just like a love letter to their dad and like as a daddy's girl i i just this i really liked this film it's so yeah. sweet yeah you know i think it I've is heard I, I genu oh, yeah the cinderella such, scene such a good job mm -hmm. you know i think genuinely yeah, heard it for me is just oh. like the conversation around the film like watching this thinking analyzing it as like being that's a fair. best picture contender if it was just best mm -hmm. actor because there's always like that one film that's not really like necessarily amazing but like oh it's gonna get an acting nom like judy was 
if I viewed right. and I I was more forgiving, I feel like towards Judy. I actually like Judy more than this. But I feel like if I watched this just thinking it was going to be a best actor play, I'd be more forgiving. But when people, everyone online is like, oh, it's number two for best picture. It might beat Belfast. It's amazing. I feel like that put unfair expectations on it. So I feel like that might be ultimately one of the reasons I was disappointed by it is just like the ex- the expectations surrounding the film. A theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's fair. Nice. And I think it that that happens with a lot of films, I think, especially around award season where, you know, people see these movies months in advance and all you're seeing on Twitter or in reviews is, you know, praise for like Kristen Stewart, for example. And you build it up so much. You're like, oh my God, like, you know, I, I knew she was a good actress, but like, wow, I'm about to be completely blown away. And then you go in there and you either are or you're not. And you've been hearing about these things for so much. They get so built up, especially award season. It's like this, you know, before you even see the movies, you know what you're going into that's going to be, oh, that's an Oscar contender. You never really go, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I I haven't seen anything these days where I'm like, wow, no one has mentioned this yet. And this is going to like run away with it. Like I'm the first person to be like, wow, like this is going to be it. Like, I feel like everything you know now, you go into it with this preconceived expectation. I, I think that does, I think it always hurts it, always. Yeah, like for me, like on my t- Twitter timeline specifically, Carson, I saw people talking about how like Will Smith w- would be like best actor, but I haven't seen like anyone that I follow talk about like it being like a best picture contender. So I can totally see that because the same thing happened to me, like like Chris mentioned with Spencer, because like everyone hyped up Kristen Stewart's performance so much, and I sat down to watch it, and I was like, "You lied to me." So <laughs> expectations of films can totally like make or break it. Yeah, that's why you shouldn't listen to people. Everyone is wrong. I also think uh, the pandemic has um, last year kind of slowed things down. I think this year is going to speed things up. I think people are talking constantly about like, oh, it's already out of conversation. I think that we're going to get a lot more Anthony Hopkins this year where it's like, oh, I guess I'll get around to blank. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, movies that we thought were completely out suddenly will pop up in uh, movies like Mass, movies like Tammy Faye, not just movies I like, but like <laughs> um, even things like Green Knight. Um, actually, we want to pull things I don't like. Um, you know, I think we'll like pull around in conversation. Well, for like makeup and things like that. Um, I think we'll like fly back around in conversation um, because, you know, I was talking to... Um, I was with a bunch of like critics and things and they're trying to get everything done for the um, HCA, the Hollywood Critics Association uh, nominations. And they were like, (laughs) we've been doing our own movies, you know, mostly like popular movies. And now we have to watch all of the Oscar films within the next like month. (laughs) I think that they have three weeks to get every movie um, decided. So they were like, they go literally just tell us what we should be watching because you know we've because of the podcast we've watched everything and I was like here's the list of things I liked but like I don't know if you'll like them <laughs> like, I don't, and it's like that's kind of how I think things are going to be like I think a lot of deep cuts may like pop back up speaking back to um Nicholas Cage and Pig a lot of people are watching that there's like there I could see like a surprise nom um in a couple of the precursors to the Oscars um so yeah, I don't think I don't think anything's safe right now. Um, the only thing I would ever say is safe, I think, is uh, Belfast getting nominated for Best Picture. The only thing where I'm like, yeah, that'll happen. Yeah. I would say I'd be pretty safe that Eternals 
isn't going to be nominated for best picture. I'd put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd actually say probably another thing that's pretty safe to say is Ghostbusters Afterlife is not going to be nominated for best picture, but who knows? That's going to be our final film for this week. We got a new Ghostbusters after the hit 2016 film that we all love dearly. Chris, you're our guest here. Why don't you take our last feature of the week out of our, you know, why don't we start it out? What were your thoughts on Ghostbusters Afterlife? Ghostbusters Afterlife. Well, we've been seeing the trailers for like the last two years. You know, the movie was supposed to come out in summer and it kept getting delayed, delayed, delayed. I'm a Ghostbusters fan. I like the first one. The second one's not so great. Uh, I do remember as a kid, though, like the Statue of Liberty coming to life and walking down the street was pretty entertaining. Ghostbusters 2016, you know, I, I think the it's been, the, all I'll say about it is I think that their biggest fault there was rebooting the franchise. I don't know why you just didn't continue it in a world where the Ghostbusters had indeed saved New York twice, and this was just a more blue-collar women taking up the mantle, but whatever. Less is said about that, the better. Uh, this one, though. I was excited for it. I like I like the cast for the most part. I mean, Paul Rudd can really do no wrong. Uh, Carrie Coon is fantastic. Uh, I love I love the leftovers. So I'll watch her pretty much in anything. McKenna Grace has been doing solid work for years now, and this is a, finally a chance for her to shine. And Finn Wolfhart was in it too. Um, <laughs> so I I I like the movie. Let's just start there. I like the movie. Um, when we were just talking about movies that are too long, it, it, this wasn't even that long. It takes a while to get going. It really takes a while to get in there. We know the, you know, and maybe that's the problem. I'm, I'm getting on a tangent here. Maybe that's the problem with trailers these days where they set everything up. So there's a certain point in the movie where they keep talking about, ah, yeah, we're here because grandfather's dead. Yep, our grandfather, the dirt farmer, moved out here. And it's like, yeah, we, we knew all that. I've, you know, I've seen the trailer, been watching the trailer, like all that information's out there. So it definitely takes a while to find its footing here. And when it does, I think it actually gets pretty exciting. Now, we're going to have to talk about this in terms of spoilers. So I feel like anybody listening, you might just want to skip ahead and then come back here. Um, but I will say that it definitely follows the beats of the first film, which is something I don't mind because I like the first movie. So it's kind of cool to see, you know, it restructured in a bit of a different light here. Um, granted, it, it doesn't take any twists or turns with it, which is kind of what I was expecting. Like, hey, here's the greatest beats, but it's remixed. And it doesn't do that. Whereas, you know, everybody's been comparing to like The Force Awakens. And I think The Force Awakens does do enough different things in its relaunch of this franchise that it makes it fun and exciting. And you don't really know where it's going to go. This one, uh, you know exactly where it's going to go. It paints inside the lines very clearly by number. You know exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Um, I think the most interesting thing to come out of the whole thing would happen in the second end credits where you think that they actually might be setting things up. And honestly, that's kind of the movie I wanted to see, to be honest with you. I, I want to see Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and Ernie Hudson come back. I want to see Sigourney Weaver. And we get to see them in these end credits that occur. And I won't go into too much detail what happens there, but it does seem like it's setting it up for something that I don't think is going to happen. I think if a, a Ghostbusters, after the afterlife happens, it's going to be with the four new Ghostbusters they set up, McKenna Grace, podcast who's clearly taking on the science Dan Aykroyd part of it you've got the you know the the police chief's daughter in there and then you've got you know Finn Wolfhard who is supposed to be I guess the Bill Murray archetype which I didn't see but honestly we didn't get much of him in this film and I was completely okay with that um I mean I really listen I'm a guy who I, I had collected 
the toys as a kid. I, my uncle knew the only thing I really wanted for Christmas was the Ghostbusters Firehouse PlayStation set. He went to like, I, I think it had to be like four or five Toys R Us's, which for the younger viewers used to be a brick and mortar toy store that existed. Uh, and I think he had actually pay off one of the delivery workers there to like call him when it was coming in at midnight. And then he paid like double for it just so like, because that's the only thing I was asking my dad for. And my dad like had my uncle and friends out there looking for it. So like, I love, I, I do love the Ghostbusters. I'm, I'm so into them. It was so exciting for me when, spoiler alert, they show up at the end. It was great. Um, but I, I don't know. There's moments in the film when I wanted to be liking it more. And I felt a little bored by it. A little like, okay, come on, let's get to the good stuff. Let's moving in. And once the ghosts do start to show up, it's pretty exciting, but it is weird it's weird that Jason Reitman has gone on and on and on about how, oh, I, I couldn't avoid my father's legacy. I, I had to, I had to do this film and that, that's great. I, cool. But there's points when I'm like, I don't know how much you really watched or loved Ghostbusters to begin with, because there doesn't seem to be a lot of love for that first film or anything. I mean, like, I, I don't know if a big gigantic freaking Stay Puff Marshmallow Man walked through New York, destroying churches and blew up all over the place. I think that's something, no matter how old I was, I didn't hear about, learn about in school. So it just seems a little weird when these characters act as if ghosts aren't a real thing, then actually see a ghost, act like it's not a big deal, but then all of a sudden it's a big deal because they got to go save the world. So my thoughts are conflicted on this. I enjoyed seeing aspects from that first film. And I mean, there are some appearances in here that I, I, I think we have to, we'll, we'll talk about the big thing, I think, when we get everybody's thoughts on this. But I mean, I, I'm going to spoil a couple other things. The, the, the J.K. Simmons, like, five-second cameo. And I, we all know who, who played Gozer, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. Olivia Wilde. Olivia that Wilde. was an Olivia Wilde jump scare for me because I was <laughs> like, what? Because uh, I'm looking at her going, oh, that's cool. And I was like, wait a minute, that's not that kid. And then those eyebrows. And I was like, holy fucking shit. That is Olivia Wilde. That is Harry Styles' girlfriend. <laughs> that is Harry Styles. Oh my goodness. My sister is a huge Harry Styles stan. So when Olivia Wilde pop up, the scowl on that kid's oh, face, so funny. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, no, actually that reaction is, I think what I wrote you was going to be your yeah. reaction, Chris. Um, because I watched it and... Um, for people who don't know, Chris likes all three of the new Star Wars movies. And I think he's the only person who can say that he do, likes all three. Uh <laughs> the last one's good though. The other two maybe. Yeah, no, no I like not doing this today. No, but I'm just saying, today. I'm saying, but like with that in mind, moving to this is like it definitely is trying to be Star Wars for Ghostbusters. Except Ghostbusters is not Star Wars. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, Gary Fisher is not, you know, like uh, Dan Aykroyd is not Gary Fisher. <laughs> like, uh, you know, when you see them, it's like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not, you know, there's no like, oh my God, it's iconic characters, especially in the, you know, that those movies feel a little dated. Um, I don't particularly like Ghostbusters um, as a thing, but I think it's also because I just don't particularly like 80s movies. Um, they never really worked for me. And I think it's because I was, I, I'm born in 91. 
So all the 80s movies felt a little dated when you would watch them. Um, and I think that's how a lot of people feel is like the generation directly behind you when you watch like their kids' movies, you're like, eh, okay. Um, it just feels a little like heard about these. They did everyone older than me loved them. And by the time I could watch them, I was a little out of it, um, which is how I've always felt about that era. But um, specifically Ghostbusters, I know was something I just never really connected with. So I was like actually excited to see like a revamp of this and be like, oh, maybe this will be really cool. Um, I think Finn Wolfhard is a huge problem with this movie. Um, he really bugs me. And I think your point, Chris, um, about Reitman not knowing what to do with this because he it's his dad's legacy. It's actually going back to what we just talked about with uh, King Richard. I think this has such a reverence for Ghostbusters without him being specifically a comedy guy. Uh, Jason, not uh, Ivan, um, is like an issue throughout because he tries to be funny and it's not super yeah. funny. There's only one sequence, and I know you guys will probably talk about it, um, that is funny. And it's like the only like funny scene. And it's so weird. No, the humor's of- rough. The humor's yeah. rough. It's and it- Ghostbusters is funny. This one, it's 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 yeah. rough. Yeah. And it tries. It tries. It's also so weird that you know you could get Sigourney Weaver and you put her in a post-credit scene, which um, fun fact originally was not a post-credit. Um, it was supposed to be in the movie. It's in the middle of the film. Um, huh. Yeah. Um, I found that out through a friend who read the script and uh, said like, yeah, no, all the post-credits are in the movie. And then like, they just pushed them back to the end. And I'm assuming they pushed them back to the end just set up for a sequel but like it would have been so much more interesting if you'd seen the character show up seen their lives and then they like revealed things so like um chris you'll have to help me out the um yeah assistant janine janine so like janine um after she introduces the kids to the house she goes back to new york and you saw all those new york scenes is how it originally went Um, which makes so much more sense than like, you know, how they have it now where it's like all these, all this like plot shoved in the end. Um, Because when they show up, it feels very just like out of nowhere, but it makes sense if you've introduced that all these people aren't Ghostbusters anymore, but they still want to be like, it makes sense. Um, Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Just Just to chime in there for a second. It's really interesting that you say about the script being a little different because there is a weird retcon that happens because Dan Aykroyd on the phone tells McKenna Grace, the reason that he's so mad at Egon is Egon took all their proton packs, took everything and fled, left them high and dry. The Ghostbusters show up at the end in full uniform with their proton packs. Wait, I didn't even think about that, but that's a hundred percent right. Yeah. I was very confused by that point, but yeah they're wearing the suits by the way that the kids all put on about 20 minutes beforehand that are apparently <laughs> yeah. hanging up in egon's thing so there was a couple <laughs> questions there that's so good yeah um i wonder if that was a reshoot or that was a like just uh, well mistake 
I mean, there has been, I'm like, I, this movie's funny enough. It's like, I think it really is hurt by just being completely spoiled by every person and their mother knows what happens in this film. But like, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like there probably was another ending if certain people wouldn't sign a contract to be in the film and then they just changed it last minute. Because also like narratively, it is the most like, it's the least pleasing shit in the world how this film ends because it's not at all what they're building. It's definitely just like, oh wait, yeah. these actors do say yes. Yeah, sure, have them come on set. We'll have them in the end. Like it doesn't make sense narratively. It doesn't really work that well. But I think overall, like I, I'm someone who likes Ghostbusters, even the 2016 one. I like the franchise. I think there's probably not like a terrible one in it. But this film worked for me overall. I was actually kind of surprised with how much I liked it. The comedy, I like how you guys said it was bad because it was my like favorite part of the film because i think anything plot wise in this is beyond boring this is like uh you know <laughs> the most basic like oh there's these ruins in the mountain and there's like all this stuff and it's just beyond generic but the comedy like was charming i think overall like well i mean especially the walmart scenes i think the funniest scene of the year like easily for mm. but um yes. i know there's something um, really loving forget, about wait, this even, go ahead you seem to have forgotten that um the seagulls scene song from uh fucking barbin star was this year i didn't so, forget it uh i'm still saying oh it. <laughs> yeah it's a really upsetting for me um well. <laughs> just <laughs> i literally even when you wrote that i was like oh he must have forgotten barbin star came out this year <laughs> no i looked through my letterbox um no i i think the walmart scene's like the most heart the hardest i've laughed for a long oh, yeah. the theater but like even the ending and this film makes choices right there's some choices that i think some people might have issues with like morally but i think that overall it's done in like a way that feels loving to me like this feels yes it changed a lot of the franchise it definitely is like the most unique ghostbusters to date but it doesn't like this loving sense i didn't mind i thought like this film it's not mm -hmm. perfect it's not all well executed but it has like the right intentions to where I really was like, yeah, I'm okay with it. Um, I, I was shockingly like a quite big fan of this film. Um, Ghostbusters for me is a franchise that I never got around to as a child. So I watched the first one for the first time on Wednesday with my cousin just on Netflix. He fell asleep. I trudged my way through it I thought it was like okay um and I was thinking to myself I would have liked this way better as like a child because like so many people I know love Ghostbusters like a lot of my friends from high school are like obsessed with it they've dressed up as the Ghostbusters for Halloween and stuff I don't talk to them anymore they're weird <laughs> um but like <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Not for that reason, but I remember we used to go to like fan expo and stuff and like Comic Con in Toronto, and there'd be like a booth of people who would like dress up as the Ghostbusters and like have the like packs and everything. They were like, it was like a thing, it was like a Ghostbuster society. So, this movie franchise has been hyped up for me for a very long time. So, it's not its fault, it's the fans, I guess, that like really just elevated it for me. And I was like, my expectations were not met, it's fine. Um, and then the next day I did not watch the sequel and I will never watch the 2016 version, not even for Chris Hemsworth, because that is my hell. I know it. Um, <laughs> I actually so don't I, hate, then, I, I will say I don't hate the You know how version. I feel about Kristen Wiig. I know. I can't so do weird. it to myself. 
when she's like on the her. podcast next week, it's going to be really awkward for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, like, I think you're not funny at all. And you pissed me off. I'm so sorry. Anyway, uh, the actual movie that we were talking about, Ghostbusters Afterlife, I saw it in the theater. Um, I had like an okay time with it. I liked it more than I thought I would after watching the first one. It very much reminded me of like a Force Awakens in the sense that it was very similar to the original film. So I am glad I watched, like bothered to watch the original one first. Um, It dragged a lot for me. I looked at my phone countless times, but Paul Rudd was delightful. And I think if it were not for him, this would have been an extremely miserable experience, but it was just like, fine, like, person i really enjoyed the walmart scene i thought it was fucking hilarious that he picked up baskin robbins ice cream because that's where he works in ant-man i that was a nice touch for me uh anytime paul rudd was on screen i was like amazing i'm having a great time every time he was on i was like i'd really like to have paul rudd back um the finale when all the ghostbusters pop up as we've already spoiled i thought that was cute i don't know it was fine like it's I feel like not it's not a spoiler movie at all. Literally the trailer. <laughs> yeah. They did. It? They, they never... did release a trailer a couple weeks ago, literally showing them that. Oh, okay. So, and then fine. To be fair. Um, my cousin who fell asleep during the original did really like this one. And my sister who did not watch the original because we got in an argument five minutes into the movie also really liked Ghostbusters Afterlife. So that's everybody's thoughts that I saw with. It's okay. It's fine. It doesn't help yeah, that the kid actors I will agree. are horrendous. The, uh, the... I, I like McKenna, but I, I like don't... McKenna. I thought McKenna was yeah, doing like she's a, fine. Good, her a good Harold Ramis I impression. thought she was good, but her character was really unlikable. The lines yes, were so I, yes, forced, yes. trying to sound like smart adult. I hate it. I was like, yeah, I'm sure she is fine. That was not the issue. Oh, yeah. It's just like her lines were not good for me. Oh, uh, well, I... Yeah, I think that McKenna Grace falls full into whatever roles she's doing. Um, and this character was supposed to be a little annoying. And they were like, try to be a little annoying. And she's like, yes. <laughs> uh, I could do that. She was also meant to be a little bit like on the spectrum too. And I think yeah. that they yeah. were trying not to fully um, allude to that. But I also um, felt very offended that um, podcast was supposed to be an annoying character because oh my god um, when his name was revealed my sister whacked me in my arm and said that's uh, you and I was like that's, <laughs> what that's <laughs> literally literally I was sitting there and I was like oh this is like Carson if we'd gotten popular a couple weeks ago god like, thank god I'm not like 10 percent more depressed or that would have put me over the edge <laughs> what if um, I was suicidal <laughs> don't compare me to the worst character um, yeah so um no, it's like, it's so funny watching that because um, everyone's making fun of podcast and I, I've been struggling um, with like not mentioning the podcast. So long-term fans who would be about four, like 5% of the people that are listening now, <laughs> like we've been just doing this, chugging along, knowing that no one was listening. And now that there are people listening, I'm like active accidentally mentioning it like in my regular day-to-day life now it'll like come up and I'll be like oh yeah the podcast also because we're getting screenings now and also because we're you know having people write in and shit so like reference things also that's why I watch most movies so people are like why the fuck have you watched every movie that's coming out um and I like noticed and then he was so annoying podcast 
Um, like, I definitely see what, that people would think he was really funny, but I just personally felt very like <laughs> uncomfortable with like how much of a joke a person who has a podcast is. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, no, it's little Carson. I loved that Android was his one <laughs> subscriber. That was adorable. Yeah, that was a great reveal. That was a good joke. You're the <laughs> one. Uh, no, really, really finds its voice in the 46th episode. <laughs> but the Stay Puft Marshmallow Men were, were actually fantastic. And I'm, I'm actually annoyed they're myself sh- for not mentioning it originally. They were, I mean, brilliant. It was like a sausage sh- party uh, type scene of them like killing each, each other and killing themselves. And I, I was laughing so hard. Yeah, no, that was my favorite scene um, by far. And that's like, the thing that's really weird is clearly that was going to be everyone's favorite scene. And I'm surprised that doesn't come back more. Well, I know that podcast because... like, murders a bunch of them, but like that yes. wasn't funny and very uncomfortable, actually. I was like, oh, they were so cute. And you're just like slaughtering them right now. Right. Well, the one thing is that the one beat that they didn't follow from their final act with Gozer from the first film was choosing the form of the destroyer for Zul to come through. And I kept waiting for that. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's got to be something with, it's going to be like a ton of like little Stay Puft Marshmallow Men making up one giant one or something like that. You know, it's going to be something amusing, but it'll be a funny take on it. And they never did that, which I'm like, oh, that was like such a huge, big, iconic moment. And instead, you know, we go from the temple to 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 the farmhouse as our finale, which I, I, I don't know, a little muted, yeah. a little muted. Um, I'm also surprised uh, Rick Moranis is acting again, right? I'm surprised he wasn't in this. I don't know. Or- is he acting again? Um. I think he's still retired. I'm sure an offer was put out to him. Oh, he's redoing. He's in the new um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, So um, that's what I knew. Maybe Uh, he wasn't. He hadn't retired by the time they were filming. Uh, This was what, 30 years ago? I don't don't know if you've heard about this, Chris, but it is uh, the new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It's just called Shrunk. And (sighs) his son is played by... Josh Gad. <laughs> oh no! Who is also the voice of Munster in this? Yeah. Film. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Josh Gad will. Josh Gad is um, doing what James Corden wishes he could do: just show uh, up and everything. But everyone's like, oh, I guess okay. <laughs> Compared yeah. to literal, like well, uh... <laughs> the thing is, I feel like Josh Gad is talented to a degree, but like James, well, James Corden's not talented to any degree. But Josh Gad just gets like <laughs> shoved down our throat. Josh Gad is just like it's like here you have to like Josh Gad, and it's like yeah, he was so funny as Olaf, like really good. But it's like Josh Gad, Josh Gad, Josh Gad. It's like he does uh, get away with it since Olaf is such a beloved. He really character. does. He, yeah. he has, I hated he, Olaf in the first one, but the second movie, Olaf with his existential great. dread, incredible. So that good. was great. art. Let's also be clear: Clappercast does not stand with Chris with Chris's false uh, thoughts on James Corden. <laughs> we do not stand uh, with that. We do not agree with that. We we all agree with it. Um, there's just Ugh. just pod. No, you don't. Podcast oh, no. doesn't. Um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know we had James Corden. No, he saying that like Clappercast, what he meant was podcast himself. <laughs> <laughs> 
look we stand by james corn we stand by cats okay that's our no. podcast stance here no 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 well if you uh, recall we did do lesbian vampire killers on this podcast purely for and it was Gordon. great <laughs> <laughs> we did and it literally was what like a film. the most we've ever what done a in a podcast <laughs> we were so mad chris literally he picked this movie and it was an additional movie Outside of what he invented. To be clear, it was my fault. Yeah, it was Alina's fault, not mine. Okay, fair, fair. And all we did was yell about how bad it was while Carson, in vain, tried to tell us it maybe wasn't the worst thing we'd ever It was so fun. Go watch Lesbian Vampire Killer starring James Corden. It's great. You'll have a great Oh, God. I mean, there is no Um, part of that. (laughs) The best part is that they try to set up a sequel about um very gay werewolves it's on the way it's in, it's in production oh, it's taking a while okay it literally ruined uh the two leads friendship and they are no longer friends so that's Holy how shit. good it is so. nice. nice one They've went up one went like, down you know yeah. <laughs> um but yeah um i, I guess like this is one that's hard to, because um, usually I try to like recommend or not recommend movies once we wrap uh, on this kind of stuff. This one, I don't know. Like, it's definitely just going to be a, a vibe with yourself. If you're a big fan of like the Force Awakens style, like redos of older movies, um, then I think it'll work with you a little bit. Um, Honestly, I think it's, I think it's one of those, if you ignore Ghostbusters 2 and Ghostbusters answer the call and you put like a DVD two pack of this, of Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters Afterlife and you watch them back to back almost, I think you'd really, really enjoy it. I think it plays like a, like, like a sequel would where it's like, hey, here's some of the best beats from the first one. We're doing the same thing, just a couple different characters. Here's the people you love. It's just like years later. I think that's, I think that's how I'd recommend it. That makes sense. Go go watch the original. Go watch the original. You like the original? Go see Afterlife. I think you'll really like it. And I think seeing the first one enhances your like having knowledge of the first one enhances your experience of the second one. It's not just because like little Easter eggs, like oh here's the Twinkie. Like I think it's just it, it played. I felt like it played better. I watched Ghostbusters. I think like two weeks ago, and I still had it fresh in my head. And I just think it this one played even better for me, just because I was like, oh okay. Uh, actually, I'll ask you: um, Is Ghostbusters two any good? No, like it like okay. ignores it ignores like everything from the first film. Uh, it's just silly. It's it, it does it's trying to do a lot too. Like you know, Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray have a kid now, and there's uh, you know, yeah, it, there's a lot. Peter McNichol is really good in it, but um, it's it's Wait, it's fine. Did you say Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray have a kid? Yes, Oscar. I. Th- I was a hundred percent sure that she was uh, into Rick Moranis. I guess I need to rewatch no. that movie. Yeah, you really I don't watch in like that again. she was. She was very much not. Wa- Granted, when they're the gate master and the key master, that's yeah. I think what I'm just remembering. Something happened. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's so funny. On that note, why don't we give it over to Alina, the host with the most here, to talk about the silent showdown, the last week of head-to-head competition. Yeah. Notice how he changed in the fact, name. We are in fact on week what? Wait, I what did I say? Listening. 
He said head-to-head <laughs> competition instead of. No, I said it's the last week of the silent showdown. I said it's the last week um, of the silent showdown. The last week of head-to-head. Oh, because I thought he was going to. Oh, if you listen, Paul. Got it. Yeah. Got Open it, your ears. It. That's why out. I was. Yeah, I got really confused. Okay. Well, I'm yes. I'm ready to yell in a second. So. <laughs> okay. Well, let's save it. Let me <laughs> no, do no, my no. intro. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as Carson said, we are in fact on the fourth and final week not really the final week actually but the final week of competition for the silent showdown like last week and all the weeks before in one corner we got buster keaton in the other corner we got charlie chaplin the kings of silent cinema but who is the real king i don't know we're figuring it out however (laughs) this week we are doing their most iconic films allegedly we've got buster keaton's the general from 1926 Mm -hmm. eight And then we got, okay, 26. And then we got Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator from 1940. So you know what? Little unfair. We got a huge jump in time. Also unfair, The Great Dictator is not a silent film. So you know what? Charlie Chaplin (laughs) should be fucking disqualified. Well, let's be clear on the oral history of how this came together. We said, and we can listen back. We said that this series was Chaplin versus Keaton. Five minutes before the first episode of the series, and the only prompt was Chaplin versus Keaton, we created the name Silent Showdown. The rule was never that it all had to be silent films, never discussed, never said. So it's not unfair. It was a it was an oversight <laughs> in the naming of the series. But um, if you it it listen, very... my client is not guilty here. So <laughs> it'll it'll be very funny when you have to put it on Twitter and you have to put the great dictator and then disqualified beside it and see how well it does after. Quite frankly, after watching- Not actually silent. Um, also, uh, I did watch this. I knew it was supposed to have sound. Um, I watched this with my sound off on my TV. I watched the first like five minutes and I was like, oh, I guess it is silent. I guess I was, wow, this is real silent. There's not even, oh, my TV's <laughs> off. <laughs> Can we talk about every week? It's like Alina's like, oh, I, I watch these back to back with the chaplain second. And Paul, oh, I just had the audio off for, you know, 40 minutes. It's unfair. No, no, no. I went back. I went back to the beginning. So unfair. It was just very much like uh, a, a big surprise to me. So this is the first week that I have not watched them back to back. So that was great. Um, I, watched... I once again did watch them back to back. However, I didn't think it mattered this time because one of them was the sound. So that's fair. Whatever. Um. So I guess I'll start with um, The General since it's first and the only silent film. And we will not be discussing, I guess, The Great Dictator because it's not silent. Um, but uh, <laughs> so The General is a very weird film. Um, I forgot that this was a thing that like these movies do, um, but it's very pro-Confederacy <laughs> um, in that... Uh, Buster Keaton plays a guy who wants to join the Confederate army and the villains of it are the Yankees. Um, And that's the movie. (laughs) Um, He's trying to save his girlfriend who got uh, kidnapped by the union. And most of it takes place on various trains. Um, But outside of the plot, which I think is one of the interesting, interesting things if we're going to talk about keaton versus chaplin um which is what this has been is keaton uses the plots as jumping off points to do um like a bunch of stunts and then 
Chaplin focuses on the story and the stunts are less and more just incidental. Um, so I guess that's like, you know, what you're more interested in, but, um, the stunts in this literally the entire time I was gasping, there's so many points where I'm like, he should be dead. He should be dead. (laughs) And then like, they would do things and I'm like, everyone on this set should be dead by now. (laughs) I don't know how some of these people survived. Um, I would be interested to know how many like minor injuries, like broken arms and stuff happened because, everyone is doing like top-notch insane stuff um, oh i have an answer for you for that one actually so i, I oh, looked it up because amazing. i was also i was stunned by the things that happened i mean there was things that he was doing where I was like he could have been thrown he could be injured killed but the production itself actually suffered like tons of things so keaton was knocked unconscious at one point an assistant director was shot in the face with a blank cartridge so things have not changed. Uh, a train wheel ran <laughs> over a brakeman's foot, uh, which resulted in like a $2,900 lawsuit. And the train's like wood burning engine actually kept causing fires. And it's so, like the fires spread to the forest and farmer's haystack and cost production. I wrote this down, uh, $25 per burnt stack. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so when you think about it, yeah. Buster wild. Keaton was kind of the original Insane. Steve-O. So yeah, it's, silence yeah oh god uh that is that's insane um yeah uh another fun fact is the locomotive was a tourist attraction for 20 years until it was salvaged for scrap for world war ii (laughs) classic nice Um, i read that apparently the in the book that the general is based on, um, the Yanks are actually the heroes, um, and Keaton changed it because he didn't think that his audience would believe that the Yankees would be heroes. So I guess he really caters to um, the South will never die, which is odd because he's from Kansas. I don't well, know. My American Civil War. Well, time that to cancel two, Buster Keaton. Yeah, well. Eight months in first year of university. Films, so, like, was Kansas pro Confederacy? I don't know. It's we have a racist. <laughs> we have a pro Confederate. Gotta cancel him. Uh, dead. It, and yet, I still like him. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also, it is weird. You on Tinder uh, be like? I'm very I, unapologetic. I, <laughs> Republicans are hot, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um god um it is actually interesting uh to look back and i can't imagine um and i've been trying to read some history things especially after so when i did all the best pictures i watched gone with the wind and i had always heard like oh it you know really just looks back on the south as like oh it's romantic and i was like yeah sure but then you watch it and you're like oh no it definitely does it's very interesting. I can't imagine um, how, as a culture, it became like so well liked to be one of the losers. Uh, just like not even like in terms of like its politics. Just like I've never like I don't, can't think of anything where you're like, oh yeah, the losers were the ones I would want to be. Um, very interesting. Um, I can't like even defend it. It's just weird to me on multiple multiple levels. Um, so when it was flipped, was he part of the union originally? 
is his character that it's based on or Alina? Let me go back. While you're uh, looking at it. It just says the book was written from the Union Army perspective. Keaton did not believe that the audience would accept Confederates as villains and change the story's point of view. So I assume so. Yeah. That's wild. It's also kind of crazy when you think about that this was only, no, not even only, this was 70 years later. Like that's generations mm-hmm. later. Um, also fun fact um, for uh, the whole silent era, um, the Texas shot of the train wreck um, cost $42,000, which today is about 600 and $56,000. It was the most yeah. expensive sh- uh, day of shooting in um, all of silent film history. Um, um, which is going... interesting because he's, I don't think of Keaton as like the big money maker. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, nearly <laughs> over half a million dollars for one shot. Well, they said too that they had like 3,000 people on the payroll that it was costing them $400 an hour to make just because of how many extras and all, all of the special effects and the trains and everything, like building up these sets just cost so much. That's just, it's wild. I mean, mm-hmm. overall, I think in general, like I, I have the same opinion about Keaton pretty much every week here. It's like, yeah, the stunts are impressive. He himself like really throws himself out there physically, but like, I don't know. The story just didn't do much for me. It's boring. I don't like watching Keaton. Yeah, like it's, I it's like watching the gifts of what Keaton does, but I don't like watching his films. It's but actually interesting because this is the week. first. This is the first one of Keaton's that I was like, mad on the story, but I still found the stunts really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the stunts kept it moving. I thought because I mean, otherwise yeah. the story. I mean, the story was like uh, thirty minutes. Like this could have been a yeah. silent short. Yeah. Um, totally. Mickey Mouse could have done this shit in eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Mouse, the Confederate. <laughs> yeah. Walt Disney would have been fine with that. Antebellum mini. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Um, just going back to the whole like pro-Confederacy thing, it has, I really like the American South. Um, like I really like a lot of music from like the 60s and stuff from like that era and it's so fascinating to me like how much the confederacy is like tied into it I feel like they just get like lied to or just like indoctrinated into it it's so interesting that like um, people from the south identify with like losers but they don't see it as losers they see it as like a rebellious thing like I remember and like watching the last waltz like um, my favorite drummer from the band Levon Helm he's like wearing uh, he has there's like a confederate flag in the background but like and then he's talking about like how much he loves like black musicians and how he didn't believe in segregation all these things and then um Tom Petty used to like the confederate flag on a lot of like his tours and stuff and I remember like years later he apologized for it and he's like I didn't realize like how offensive it was to like black people and things like that like it's so weird how they don't see it as like a bad thing and I think it's just like how they're raised so Buster Keaton must be the same way and he doesn't see it as like a terrible thing he just sees it as like rebellion I don't know it's always like purely because of how much it appears in like the music I like it's always been something extremely fascinating to me yeah I well I mean being someone from the south and Carson you can probably attest to this too 
is like we were taught even like the you know i was too uh young to be someone who cared about um or was like at all a fan of the confederacy at any point in my life but um we were definitely taught like the new englanders are like pieces of shit and they like suck and they're mean and terrible and i think it's like that kind of overall feeling just like exists still today even though like we don't attach it to any like event or any time period um because like you know, uh, I think that there's just something, you know, and uh, Chris, actually, you're from New England, so I'm sure you have some opinions on that. But I think it's like there is like a kind of rivalry between the South and the North, but it's like it's not about that period anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just really like, um, you know, lifestyles, actually, like the Southerns are like more like, you know, slow and not as much city and stuff. And then the New Yorkers and the uh the East coasters are like busy, busy city people. And I always was taught like they suck. <laughs> so it is interesting. That's like probably coming from that era, but we don't really think about that. Cause like now there's huge cities and you know, Dallas is massive. Austin, massive. Um, you know, Florida has huge cities now. It, it is not really like that line is now for Atlanta. It's not really a, a real thing anymore, but I think it just sticks in our our sticks in our craw if I want to get southern for a hot second. <laughs> so I don't like Keaton is why I think this conversation is circling back to is I <laughs> <laughs> because I am not a racist. I do yeah. in fact not like Keaton. Uh, but if you want to be a racist, I guess enjoy yeah. his film. <laughs> you can vote for it this week. I mean, that's up to you if you want to be a racist, but. <laughs> I will continue to vote for Buster Keaton. Sorry. Um, wait, <laughs> The Great Dictator? Because um, like, to transition actually... a little bit, that is like one of the best films ever made. It's a, like, yes, I will admit it's probably a little bit unfair to put like a single hour short film against like an actual film, but like, love The Great Dictator. I think Chaplin's amazing. Uh, I think it's clever. I think it's smart. I We can, no, we can oh, talk about it. thought it was long as shit. Yeah, that's Normal what I was length. About to say. You can't watch it back to back with an hour um, film and be like, it's long. I will you know? say, okay, so um, it, intro, because I really want to talk about one specific scene that I actually was like, this is fire. I sent it to Chris, actually. Um, but go ahead. You did. Me? Intro? Yeah, in- yeah intro I will, the movie. You, ha- you had to interrupt me, so sorry. I thought you had something to say. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I love The Great Dictator. I think it's just one of the best films ever made. Like, yes, the speech at the end like you hear a bunch Carson like intro it cons- <laughs> I well, like I'm explain what the movie is <laughs> oh my god so if you don't know the great dictator is about a guy who like it's basically about Nazi Germany and it's about this guy who's innocent who switches places with basically Hitler and it's like all this like uh political satire let's say about like Nazi Germany and all that there's a lot of weird parallels if you read into it I haven't seen the documentary there's a documentary on the criterion of the great dictator which i own um comparing chaplin to hitler because apparently there's a bunch of very weird comparisons to them um but no i think yeah, I they think have the same mustache yeah i think they're also born in the same week like it's very weird some of the things they are um, hitler's birthday's four days after mine so oh well, that's fun yeah um but like 
Yeah, I, I mean, I just think this is probably Chaplin's best effort kind of by a default. It is a lot of charisma. It's a lot of character. It's a lot of uh, the same comedy that you would like from other Chaplin films, but also has this really deep emotional heart. And if anyone thinks like Chaplin's a one trick pony, can't do live action, he gives one of the best performances maybe of all time in this. I mean, that ending speech, you hear it everywhere. You see it everywhere. I've literally been to concerts where they play it as part of like an in, uh, intro thing, but like, it's great. It is fucking spectacular it is still relevant i mean this film i think is just one of the best films ever made and i cannot wait to hear all three of you say it's bad and somehow say a bad racist key in silent film is better than this but let's hear it um okay so i will start with the positives um the world balloon sequence is fucking incredible um i loved it it felt like what i've been wanting and i will say from everyone out of silent films Give me some sequences that are like, this is funny and doesn't feel like it could be better with sound. <laughs> like, that was fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, like, even my stepsister walked in for just that sequence and was like, oh, this is cute. And then, like, walked out immediately after. But all of that I really enjoyed. Speech is great. Um, you know, I think it's really clever that, you know, he looked like Hitler and was like, what if I did a movie where, you know, I am Hitler. It's so smart. Um, I think it's just, a, you know, all of the movies we have talked about um, with the exception of the general, and that's only because it's an hour um, and 15, I think it's too long. I think that there's points where I was like, guys, come on. Um, even like the skits that I would like, it would hit a point where I was like, Okay, and now you cut. And I think at the point, this is the 40s. There is no excuse for the length compared to, like, um, what's happening. Um, you know, this is, like, this is after Gone with the Wind. This is after Wizard of Oz. Like, we're, like, in the point where, you know, we have now superseded what film is. We're in Oscars period. Like, now, let's be clear, this is only two hours, life. five minutes. Like, I don't know why we're all acting like this is wild. I think it's too long. Okay, but you're no, like comparing no, Gone with the Wind is two hours, five minutes. No, I'm saying, I'm saying like, but I'm saying like in terms of like plot, like this is a very short, simple plot and just keeps going Um, in like a really like needs an editor kind of way. And I think it's that he can't pull away from uh, I think this is his first sound film, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so the, I felt that he didn't know how to deal with um, sound. You can make things move quicker. Um, there was one sequence where he's walking over rooftops. And I was like, we, we did this joke. The joke is over. Please move on. And it lasts for another like three minutes. And overall, like, spoiler alert these are neck and neck for me um, i think both are fantastic they are their you know most well-known films there's a reason um that they're you know both lauded throughout the world but uh yeah um just it really there's huge points where i was like come on guys let's get to the point charlie we you are so close the only sequence that i was like i could live with this forever is the balloon sequence um, but the speech is great. You know, it's true. Um, it's clever. 
um it's a smart film yeah i i did like actually think this was amazing we just like to tease you carson um i did like i had a lot of fun with it i thought that like charlie did like an amazing job like satirizing hitler there's so many points where like they're just like making jokes about like hitler and like how he acts and i was like did hitler watch this was he like screaming crying and throwing up during this because like didn't he used to be like didn't hitler wasn't he like a fan of charlie chaplin like what did what did he think about it because like this was 1940 this like the height of world war ii you he definitely like took a night off to watch this at one point right he had to have. I don't think he was that busy. <laughs> I did not think he was that busy as the Fuhrer. <laughs> Listen, if if I was a huge asshole um, world dictator and somebody made a movie making fun of me, I would drop everything to watch it. So like he had to have. And if he didn't, I'd be very Hitler impressed. was a huge movie fan. I and after know. the war, um, Novelist Bud Schulberg found proof that Hitler had actually watched The Great Dictator twice and enjoyed it. <laughs> That's wild. Mm. Germans were not allowed to watch it, but he did like it. That makes sense. I mean, I bet it's like, you know, Senpai noticed me. Like <laughs> it's like how Price every every week Price just hopes that the bandana guy wrote in and hated him. Just oh, like yeah, got just a little bit it. of attention, you know? <laughs> I love bandana guy. <laughs> He's probably listening and is very uh, uncomfortable about the fact that we constantly reference him. And he wrote in <laughs> once. <laughs> also just like slick comparison from to comparing Paul to Hitler, but you know. That's, I that's noticed that, but I was not. <laughs> I like how you had to reiterate just like <laughs> if you didn't notice. <laughs> and I do stand by that in a lot of ways also. I will say. Oh God. <laughs> See. <laughs> Chris, another moment that will be cut. <laughs> yeah, I think oh, I, got I, didn't, I got that impression. I didn't plan on cutting that, but I guess I can if you really, you know. <laughs> if you don't want to be called Hitler. <laughs> it's really interesting, like, how similar, like, Charlie Chaplin and Hitler, like, are to each other. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. um, it is really fascinating, and, um, overall just like really impressive that he you know went on to do this like it feels like very ballsy because it's 1940 so this is um you know rise of hitler era um like i don't even know if we've necessarily gotten 1939 so we're like we're not part of the war yet um it's just like something that's going on in europe um which (laughs) knowing America today, unless it's directly involving us, we do not care, um, which I'm sure was the same as how it was back then. Um, so like for him to do a movie like this is really impressive. Um, I am interested. Um, I'm checking something. Oscars 1941. I was just curious, like this didn't get nominated for anything, right? I think it might have got a screenplay. That's, I believe, I don't really know though. Oh no, it got nominated for Best Picture. I will say, so this got nominated for like Best Picture, um, Best Actor. So, so it did pop up. Um, Best Supporting Actor. Wow, this actually like did pretty well. Um, I was really about to say this whole thing about 
it's interesting that we ignored it, but they did not. But it was nominated a bunch. Um, but back in the year when there was like 15 nominees for every year, like <laughs> surprising stuff won every year. Um, for people who care, it was the year that uh, Rebecca won. So mm -hmm. uh, Alfred Hitchcock. I think this deserved it more than Rebecca, I would say. I like Rebecca. I like that's not hating on it, but I think this is better. Yeah, I mean, uh, but Rebecca is such like, uh, especially in the 1940s, is very that era. Having, well, you know, watched all those, I, I can tell like, yeah, that's, they were not doing satires and stuff yet. Yeah, I mean, and they historically probably like, they don't really do that. Looking at you, don't look up. Um, but like, I do think it is interesting seeing Chaplin's relationship with America specifically after this. Cause then he's going to get like, everyone says he's a communist. He gets kicked out. He makes some films in retaliation. There's a very hostile relationship and then it kind of just ends and he goes and collects that bit last Academy award and everyone loves him. And like, that's kind of the swan song. It's just interesting. I think Chaplin has like from the start of his career to the end, one of the most interesting like um, narratives as a creator, as a filmmaker, as a person out there. Um, I want to write a whole like series of essays on it, but I just think he's fascinating. I think this plays a really interesting, like this feels like the moment, like during his career where he reached the highest he will reach. And then, you know, obviously shit happens. I'm yeah. scared. Mm. <laughs> um, but it will be interesting to um, like kind of look over his stuff, but you know, is our, I guess we'll do more of a wrap up next week, but as a wrap up to the competition, um, it's interesting because they literally are not playing the same game whatsoever. Um, mm -hmm. So like to compare them just because of the eras they were out and the fact that they were prolific feels so odd because Chaplin and Keaton are doing two different even styles. Like Chaplin for the most part is dramas and Keaton almost always is comedy. Um, so to be like, oh, look, you know, they're both, they're not anything together. It'd be like comparing, you know, um, I don't have a comedy and like, uh, give me two, it'd be like Fincher and who's another like, who's a comedy director that's like well-known? Chris, you can pop in here too, anyone. Like right now? Yeah, I'm just trying to like, because- What about, like, uh, what's his face who did Don't Look Up? Adam McKay. Uh, Adam McKay. Oh, Adam McKay. He's like the only one I can think of. And he also does like dramas. Yeah. Todd Phillips. But that's fine. But then he did um, the Joker. Yeah. But it's like comparing David Fincher and Adam McKay. It's like, yeah, okay. They both do, you know, movies with like some sort of like political bent sometimes. But for the most part, like they're doing two different genres. Um, so to compare them like one to one is very weird. Um mm -hmm. And that's kind of where yeah. I'm sitting overall. Before like... we did the series, I thought that they were a lot more similar than they actually are because prior to this, I'd only seen like one of their movies each and people compare them all the time, I guess, because like they're the most like prolific people in silent cinema, but they're so different. I had no idea. Yeah. I think um, Harold Lloyd is probably closer to Buster Keaton than um, Buster is to Chaplin. So the thesis of this entire thing really boils down to whoever wrote the dreamers, that was a bad line to include and you should have done your <laughs> research better. <laughs> no, no, I think it, I think it actually fits really well for the dreamers because it's a bunch of like, 
uh, dumb teenagers who think that they know things about movies and they don't. That's like the whole, like a huge thesis of the movie. So yeah, actually, Sorry, in, when they're painting with their period, I was a bit distracted. For it. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, no, I don't have any problem with Chaplin. I found some of his movies boring, but for the most part, I really liked it. And we didn't watch the kids, so I'm happy. Should we do our votes for this? This entire series. Should we do our votes for this week? Because we, I don't know how the votes go. Um, Because next week we'll do our like official wrap. Well, because, okay. So as we know, um, the great dictator is disqualified. So um, (laughs) somehow it's still one. You know, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Elena. Elena Elena is the only one who needs a vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am the queen of this series. I don't know. It's not fair to my boy Buster, but I did like the Great Dictator better. Two two going into the final week I of just, overall. Like, I had thoughts. like more to say. I know it's so. Have, in conclusion, like, no just one more won. stakes to it. Yeah, I know we ended in a tie. Okay. Um. So once again, I did pull some thirst tweets for our silent film daddies Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin these ones are less so thirst tweets and more ones that just made me laugh um I don't know the context behind this one but I love the like wording of it it's from at sunny days it's actually a known fact that anyone who enters the box is a slut for Satan daddy Buster Keaton I have no idea what that means I love it incredible all right um, this one is from at Brogadishu. Charlie Chaplin was famous for his movie character, The Tramp, where he played a super horny slut. <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> there's Which another one that is references. True. If right? this is supposed there's to be like one character it. that plays multiple different worlds, he like breaks up with the girl immediately after and just like pines after the next one. <laughs> mm-hmm. This one thing at empire it's like a conversation between friends so it goes ah my two favorite charlie chaplin characters hitler and the little slut you mean the little tramp i mean what i said oh my goodness and then this these two are both from a twitter account called whores of your incredible um that's an incredible name Buster Keaton was one of their featured historical hotties. I just wanted to make note of that. But they also tweeted this. Charlie Chaplin once confessed he had slept with over 2,000 women. His party piece was impersonating the orgasms of famous actresses. I don't know if that's true, but I love that story. I'm so happy when we decided- Those are my tweets of the week. When we decided to honor (laughs) the legacy of these like classic filmmakers from almost a century ago, we're definitely doing it in like a respectful, proper way. I'll say at least. That's great. <laughs> Honestly, I, yeah. I'm a little surprised though. Like, I they think so they would love there. it. Like the general, yeah. you could have been like, you know, stuff. thirsty tweet. Like we spent the whole movie watching Buster Keaton chase after a train, but I want to run a train on Buster Keaton. Like how to have, where's those thirsty tweets? I'll tweet that. Okay, and that's going to be it for this episode of Clappercast. Let's end this thing off by giving our recommendations for the week. Paul, what's your recommendation? Um, it's to not watch Come On, Come On. Um, okay, actually, you know what? I'm going to do a double of this. Uh, do not watch Come On, Come On. Go and find Beginners, which I think is pretty great. It's Mike Mills as well. 
Um, I found Come On, Come On to be one of the most annoying goddamn films of the year. Um, I would have left or turned it off if I wasn't with friends or I was watching at home. Um, I was so bored. Um, Joaquin is doing a terrible job of like trying to be a human. Um, he just doesn't play like natural well, and it's just uncomfortable. And the kid is annoying. Um, yeah, so we already talked about that, but I would say Beginners, which is first films. I don't think it's his first first. Um, it's known because Christopher Plummer won an Oscar, but uh, Ewan McGregor and Melanie Laurent are in it, and it is fantastic and a really great story about like learning more about your parents and trying to deal with that. Um, I love that movie, um, and nothing Mike Mills has done in the past decade has interested me since, including 20th Century Woman, which I found boring. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my recommendation. Go watch Beginners. I love 20th Century Women, but okay. Alina, what's your recommendation this week? Uh, my recommendation is uh, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond because I've been playing that like a maniac this weekend. Uh, fucking love that game. I'm having a good time with it. I have made it to like heart home city i think right now uh i don't know if you want to be friends on like the nintendo switch and trade pokemon with me you can send me a dm on twitter but that's that's all i've been doing just playing fucking pokemon which started did you go with i picked turtwig Ooh. i usually go for the grass pokemon i went pip up this time but very fun i i was close but i played with pip up the first time like i played pearl like the original one yeah, so, I played with Turtwig the first time around. So, yeah. It's, see, oh it's so interesting. Um, side note. Um, that was like my generation was Pokemon, but like we all grew out of it. And it's very interesting that it like went on to your generation and stuck better. Um, like no one in my age group really talks about Pokemon, but everyone below us does. And I don't know why that is. Because it's so fun. I love replaying them. Like, I guess I one game like I like to play. Hours into this yeah like i'm not a gamer at all i play mario and pokemon and that's it i, that's like pokemon I bought a Zoo nintendo Tycoon. switch so i could play uh pokemon again i guess it's the They're same so with good. uh animal crossing as well which i played relentlessly when i was a kid and then just kind of moved on from but like your generation pokemon always comes back like there are i also like how i said like, your it generation for, like, years it's like i was a senior when yeah but it's like i was a senior <laughs> when you guys were freshmen not you carson um, mm -hmm. I was a senior when you were um, in the womb. In the problem. Womb. But no, um, I go through like a twinkle in your dad's Pokemon. eye. <laughs> <laughs> like there are points when I don't play it for years, then another one's coming out, and I'm like, I'm back on my bullshit. I gotta catch them all. I've never been able to catch them all. I don't think Chris, the only happen. the only thing you've ever done with Pokemon is the movie, right? Pokemon. Uh... I watch. I did watch. Uh, Detective Pikachu, but I know. I, I, I mean, when I was younger, I had the blue and red oh. Pokemon for my like Game Boy for my Game Boy Color. Amazing! I did. I, and I did play Pokemon Go the summer that it was big, and like I would drive around and go catch them. So like, I'm again, I don't know that much about Pokemon. We're, uh, no we're actually no only friends because of Pokemon Go. Um, surprisingly, um, because that's how I met the people that I joined trivia with, who immediately ditched the trivia Aww. Avengers is I was standing next to them while we were playing Pokemon Go. And then they said, you want to come to trivia with nice. us next Wednesday? He's quiz master. For hey. people who don't know, Chris is the quiz master. Um, 
of my trivia. That's, that's me. <laughs> Correct. Well, uh, Chris. Um, cool. What's your recommendation? Oh. <laughs> For my recommendation, uh, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about things we've been talking on the podcast. So, like, you know, if you like uh, The Force Awakens, if you like Trains, if you like Belfast, and if you like Josh Gad, you should probably watch Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, it's not my recommendation this week, but it's just something that I feel like it's really cold from the things that we were talking about. Uh, my recommendation would be go see any movie at AMC theaters and get the short film with Nicole Kidman for free before it. Uh, <laughs> it's really phenomenal. Um, but in all seriousness, I rewatched Bowfinger with Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy because I just uh, watched Only Murders in the Building, which I highly recommend on Hulu. Uh, probably very, very easy, quick binge, and it's very fun, very worth it. Uh, but Bowfinger was great. I hadn't seen it in years. Uh, it's a great comedy. It's a little bit of inside baseball about making Hollywood, but Eddie Murphy is phenomenal in it. Uh, he is so funny. He's unrecognizable when he plays dual roles here. It's, it's really fantastic. It's a great cast. Uh, and it's very interesting um, because what I, when, when I said it was a little bit of inside baseball, uh, Steve Martin wrote the screenplay, which Frank Oz directs. So, I mean, it's it's an all-star here, but Steve Martin was in a relationship with Anne Heche at the moment uh, uh, when he was writing the screenplay, and he bases the Heather Graham character on her, um, which is really interesting and, and, and kind of mean, um, especially if you follow a little bit of like what Anne Heche was going through at that time and um, when she was then with Ellen and all this stuff. And he, he kind of incorporates that in there. And that was something that I didn't really ever pick up on or ever really know. And I was reading a little bit about the film. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's a little weird. It's a little strange to watch, um, but it is a great movie. It's very funny. It's got a really amusing take on Scientology um, buried in there as well. Uh, and it's, um, it's, yeah, my recommendation of the week. Perfect. And my recommendation of the week is not necessarily a deep cut, but I know that a lot of people for some reason haven't seen Boogie Nights. Um, Licorice Pizza is coming out for some people, but for a lot of people, they're going to have to wait till Christmas. If you want Paul Thomas Anderson, um, and after seeing Licorice Pizza, it's somewhat similar. Uh, Boogie Nights is an amazing coming of age story. This is like one of the best crafted films, I would say, of all time. Like the camera and the direction and the pacing is just like fucking spectacular here. Um, it really like, and again, it's not a deep cut. This is well-regarded. A lot of people have seen this, but like, it really is one of those classics. Cause I was worried watching it. Like, oh, maybe it won't live up to the hype. It exceeded the hype. Like I thought this was amazing. Um, and if you want Paul Thomas Anderson right now, getting ready for licorice pizza, go watch it. Um, so let's close this out by finding where we can find everyone on social media, Paul. At price like tag on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxd. Alina. I am at Alina Falds on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Chris? I'm at Cry5Manning, which is just Chris Manning, but the S in Chris is a five, and that's on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Perfect. And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews, Letterboxd, just Carson Tamar. Thank you so much for listening. We post new episodes every single Wednesday. Subscribe to us either on Patreon or Anchor if you want exclusive bonus episodes. Write to us at clappercast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema.